As we come to a text like this, it's very familiar. It's easy to sit there, if I was on, your, on that side, which I have been many a times, and a preacher turns to a very familiar passage and it's easy to go, yeah, 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 and then kind of tune out. If you stick with the thought process, hopefully this evening and in the last session, I'm going to drive us to really the crux of what John is saying in application at the end with 16, 17, and 18. I'm going to kind of leave it suspended because I can't preach all of this in one setting. But I entitled this section of the text, The Light Shines in the Darkness. Out of this passage, I want us to draw out the simple truth that Christ, the eternal word, calls us to find life and light in him alone. That really is the proposition from this text. He does not... He does not go into a long dialogue or discourse or argumentation for Jesus. He simply declares Christ. And he says here, who we hear is who he is. He's the word that was eternal and from the beginning. It's, it's assumed that you are going to believe this truth. John, our author, is going to write not only about Jesus being the eternal word, but he's actually going to speak of one that God sent as a forerunner who will bear witness to the light. He was not the light, John the Baptist, but he came to bear witness of the light. And so within this text, again, we'll draw out the truth that Christ, the eternal word, called us, calls us to find life and light in him alone. I want us to see three things. I'd like us to see two of them this, this evening. The first is the truth from verses 1 to 5, that the eternal son is the one who radiates the brilliance of the eternal father. I want you to think of Hebrews 1, 1. Right? In days gone by, God has spoken through many other means, right? But in these days, God has spoken through his son. God, has, God is a God who is constantly revealing himself and making himself known to his people. But though in his grace and kindness throughout human history, he has used many different means and many different individuals, there is something uniquely different about this revelation. This son who is incarnate is not just a grace that's dispensed, but he is the one who is the possessor of the fullness of grace. So much so that John will say the author, because i got to differentiate because we have John the Baptist and John the author. John the author is going to say, when you see Jesus in the scriptures, specifically in my gospel, you are seeing the Father. That is an unbelievable statement. Like My son is here, my eldest. I, if you know Josiah, you cannot say... That if you have seen Josiah, you have seen Sam. It's impossible. We have the same laugh, so maybe like we have similarities. I have a passion for food. It's something that I've passed on to my son. Obviously, you could tell I have a passion for food, right? Not very many thin Asians around, but here's, here's right? Not big Asians, but I'm one of them, okay? And, and, yet, and, and, and yet the reality is that you can't say that. You can't say if you've seen Josiah, you have seen Sam. It's impossible, Again, maybe you know my son, and so you know some characteristics of what he's like and who he's like. But in all reality, that cannot, there's not a parallel in that sense. But the text itself is laying us out for us this reality that if, you, if this Christ is truly the eternal word, he is the one that you and I will find life in and light in alone. Like if that's not a message that the kids are going to need, not just for you to understand and dispense to them, but actually to live then we have no other message. We have no message. But the reality is that this eternal son radiated and still radiates the brilliance of the eternal father. We'll talk about that verses one through five. I gotta go quickly. Secondly, 
We'll see the truth that the incarnation of the Son provides full salvation to all who will believe, verses 6 through 14. We'll look at those two this evening. And the third one, really where I'm going to lay out a lot of application, is that grace has come through Christ the Son. And I'm, I'm hoping that this, again, will challenge your hearts to be reminded of all that you have in Christ Jesus. He is the one who is the eternal Son, become flesh. So when we come to this truth of why we must trust Christ alone for life and light, the first thing John says in verses 1 through 5 is because he's the eternal son who radiates the brilliance of the eternal father. I don't have time to get into all of it. I'm going to actually just summarize it. I'm going to not even look at my notes because I think it'll take too long. But in verses 1 and following, John says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It, it, this construction here within the gospel of John should immediately evoke memory for you as you hear the beginning of it. I know you've heard it a thousand times. But for a Jewish believer or for Jewish individuals hearing this language in the beginning, they would have expected the next words to be, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1 is in picture here. And by doing this, John does something that's uniquely different than the rest of the Gospels. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke set Jesus within the historical context of earth. John goes before that. See, because Jesus, is not, Jesus did not have his beginning in his existence only when he was incarnated. This son who historically entered into human history, who took on human flesh, was the eternal son who was always with the father from the very, very beginning. And in verses 1 through 5, he's going to not just say this son is exactly the imprint of the father. But he's going to say he even does the activity that the father alone can do. There is no one like this. I don't care what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. I don't care what the Mormons say. Jesus is not just some emanation or, or the greatest uh, of, of all gods that was a god. The text very clearly tells us. This is the eternal son who incarnated and became flesh. But he was always with the father and he does activities that only the father can do. And if that's true, later in John 5, when Jesus gets into this whole discussion and he heals on the Sabbath, right? He, did, he does that on purpose. Like if you actually read the account of John 5, if Jesus just didn't do it on the Sabbath, it would have been a lot better for him, right, humanly? But it says it was the Sabbath. And the religious would get ticked at him. And, 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 and just to... Kind of like put the cherry on top. Because after that they want to persecute him. But after he says this they want to kill him. On the Sabbath he's healing. And he makes this statement. As the father has been working until now. I have been working. Like if he stopped even at the father has been working until now. Period. They would have been fine with that. Because God did not cease from all activity on the seventh day. He ceased from the activity of creation. But he done, did not cease from the activity of sustaining. For if he did even for a nanosecond, none of us would be here. Even though camp is great, we wouldn't be here. Right? And so the, so the language is bearing this out. John, in this beginning section, is going to pack so much in here about Jesus. And then he's going to unfold it throughout the gospel. And he's doing it for one reason. He tells us this at the beginning. He'll tell us this in the middle. And he'll also tell it at the end of why he's writing all of these things. He goes, because I'm going to write these things so that you will know. The language knowing there has the idea of taking something unto oneself. He goes, so that you can know that you have eternal life. 
But don't just grab a commodity. What does he say? That life is in the sun. So even when you're sharing the gospel with the kids, even as they're asking questions about who Jesus is, don't just offer them eternal life and a way out of hell. Because that's not the gift. There is no eternal life apart from Jesus. Jesus, who possesses eternal life, can freely give it. And you know what? That's something the kids need to hear. But I'm a preacher, right? Maybe there's someone here, even at Counselor Week, that doesn't know this Christ. Or you are trusting in a prayer, or you're trusting in some kind of good merit that you have done, that you're not as bad as everybody else. Maybe there's someone here who would say, you know what? I don't know Christ as Savior. Well, let me, through John's words, remind you that this eternal Son left heaven's glory, came to earth to make the Father known. And if you're here and you don't know the Father, John very clearly articulates for us that this eternal Son that we read about, this eternal Son that walked among humanity, that the disciples witnessed and all of these different people witnessed, he is the exact imprint of the Father. Look there in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was, was, was God. He was in the beginning with God, the eternality of the Son. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's, that's the eternal Son creating. In Him was life. Eternal life He possesses. Have you ever heard the expression, you can't give away something you don't have? Right? I'm a pastor. So if I come up to you after the thing and we're talking, and in the fellowship time I say, hey, listen, I'll give you a million bucks. You'd be like, thanks, preacher. Right? Okay, that's great, but you know you're probably getting Monopoly money, right? Or maybe even better if you're older, the game of life kind of money, because that's bigger denominations, right? Like, that's about all I can give you. I'm a preacher. I didn't go into preaching for, for, for money. Like those young, young men who are thinking of pastoral ministry, if you're going in it for the money, something's really wrong with you, because it's not why we're doing it, okay? There's not a lot of money in pastoral ministry. There's a handful of people get a lot of bucks. Most of us... Not so much. That's not why we're doing it. And so as he's laying out this truth, he's going, look, here's this eternal life. And he offers this life, but he doesn't just offer it without the ability to give it. It says, in him is life. He possesses eternal life. Why? Because he was with the, in the beginning with the Father. He's the eternal son who made the earth. He's the eternal one who possesses eternal life. He has no beginning. He has no end. So if this one is the eternal son of God, he has absolute ability. To freely give eternal life to all those who believe. Because unlike me, you can make a promise but not have the ability to follow through. Jesus and God make promises. And they always have the means to follow through. This is what you're going to, again, declare not just to your own hearts but to the heart of the kids that you're going to be interacting with. But he goes on further because our time is going to run out. He says, in him is life and the life was a light of men. It's not just life but it's this light that he's radiating. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, this is what happens when you don't use your new, new notes, because I wasn't going to use the first section of my notes, but I need the second section of my notes. But the language there in verse 5, and I wish I had more time to unpack it, but the language of the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This language of uh, the light coming and declaring himself, it's a, the verb is actually a present tense. The language is that he, he, he doesn't just radiate life and light, but he continues to do so. So when Jesus entered into human history, he declared the Father through his life. He who possessed eternal life was also the light of men. 
And he continues to shine the light of the gospel. This is why even during uh, camp, you and I have even opportunity to be able to point people to Jesus Christ. Because this one who possesses eternal life shined himself and made the Father known through himself, Hebrews 1, right? And he continues to do it even today. This last week, Easter weekend, I baptized my fourth son. It was awesome, right? I have five kids. My fourth boy I baptized. The Saturday before, his mother, or my, mother, my wife, had an opportunity to share the gospel with my fifth child, who's a girl, and she came to Christ. She, though the darkness desired in the languages to completely suppress the light, it has no ability to do it. That's the language. So the eternal son radiates the glory of the eternal father. But the second truth is that the incarnation of the son provides full salvation for all who believe. Because it was not enough just to, just to declare that truth. Genesis 3 reminds us, again I don't have time to go back there, but that there was a promise Though death entered through one man, there was going to be a second Adam who would come. And he would not only pave the way, but he would be the means by which one who, ones who are alienated from, from God are brought back into relationship with him by faith. So look at what he says. Look at verse 6. He goes and moves from heaven and eternity past, and he goes into the present day. For John, he ta- speaks of there, this man. There's a man sent from God. There's, that's what's unique about John. This man named John, he's called, he's called John here. He's not called the Baptist as in other texts, but we know that this is not John the author. And so he goes on and he says, there was this man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. From the very onset, this is what John is saying. This is what God has always done. God does not just declare the coming of the Messiah, but now that the Messiah has entered human history, he is going to constantly do what he's always done. He's always going to use other individuals to bear witness, but in this situation, they're not bearing witness about a future Messiah. They're going to bear witness about the Messiah. That's what made John unique. God had set John the Baptist aside to bear witness of this one who is the Christ. What's unique about John also is that though John is older in rank and and in chronology than Jesus, he is actually less than and under Christ. He too needed a savior. And so within this language, again, John is, the author is unfolding this reality that there's this one who's sent named John. Again, I wish I had more time to unpack. I don't have time But look at verse 9. Look at what he says about the incarnation of Christ. He says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. A couple words I want to just point out. In verse 9, he uses the language of the true light. The word true there has the idea of authentic and genuine. It's actually used later in John chapter 10, when Jesus is spoken as the good shepherd. That word good is the same word here, true light. It's not good as in moral, though it encapsulates that. But it has the language that Jesus is the only true and authentic shepherd. I remind my people of this actually quite frequently. I tell them, listen, I am your shepherd that God has placed in the pulpit. We have other shepherds that serve alongside us at Parley Baptist Church. But I tell them this all the time. We're just under shepherds. 
One day, Sam Choi, if the Lord tarries, is going to die. He's going to be put six feet under, and it's totally okay. And one day, you'll forget my messages. That happens every week anyways, right? <laughs> and, and in all reality, it's okay that you forget Sam Choi. One day, my name will simply be on a, on a headstone. It will say, Sam Choi, born, right, April 13th, 19, right? <laughs> Died, whatever the date. And it's totally okay. Because another under-shepherd, by God's grace, will hopefully be raised up to take my place. And until the Lord comes, that will continue that cycle. But what John uses when he speaks of Jesus being the true light, when he will speak later of him being the good shepherd, is he's saying there's none like this one. There have been other morally good shepherds that God has sent. There's others like prophets and others that God has used. But this one is completely unique. There's a song that a songwriter more recently wrote, and he uses this language. Um, what gift of love is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more that heaven uh, now can give. It's a beautiful lyric. What a great reminder. It's, it's this reminder that throughout human history, God had promised in Genesis chapter 3 that a Messiah would come. And throughout human history, he had put different people in place to be able to continually point the people of God and those who are unregenerate to come to this Messiah who would save. But when Jesus enters into human history, this is unlike any other grace. It is not just another grace. He's the fullness of it. And when Jesus comes, as the author of Hebrews says, there's no more need for anything else. He goes up one time we celebrated this past weekend. He offered himself as a sacrificial lamb one time. And it was sufficient. He died and was buried to rise again. Jesus actually says in John 10, I have the ability to lay my own life down volitionally, but I also have the ability to take it back up again. You look at the New Testament, most of the time when it speaks of Jesus rising from the dead, it is God who's attributed to it or, or the Holy Spirit of God. John 10 is one of the rare instances where Jesus speaks of his own ability to not just lay his own life down, but to take it back up again. What a glorious truth. Who can do that? And you know what? Just a kind of like free of charge. A couple chapters after John 10, remember what happens? There's a man named Lazarus. And he dies. And he has no ability to either volitionally choose when he's going to lay his life down or the ability to take it back up again. But there is one who can take his life back up again. Remember this? Like, why do the disciples not see it? After Lazarus rose from the dead, you would be like, oh, so Jesus, when you're saying that you're going to go to the cross, you're going to die, I get it. Because if you can raise Lazarus from the dead, surely you can raise yourself from the dead. Hey, don't even fret it, guys. Three days later, he's going to rise again. That doesn't happen. They have no understanding. And even as you think through interacting with the kids this summer, even as you do, prepare your own heart to truly be convinced of this Christ, not one of your own making, so that when you see Jesus where he is, you offer to the kids not some eternal life token, not some salvation through some prayer, not some morality or some legalistic Christianity, but point them to the life giver named Jesus. And when you do that, you will offer to them not just life eternal, but abundant life now. This Jesus who truly is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth, what could he not give you in this life? 
And I'm not saying it's like every counseling situation is easy. They're going to get into all of that, you know. Brandon Fritz will fix you guys all tomorrow, right? All of that stuff. But in all reality, if at the end of the day you're simply pointing a bunch of people to a bunch of moralistic behavior and not tying that back to the fullness that's found in Jesus Christ, you've done an inadequate job in their lives and in your own. So John lays this out for us. He says this is the one who possesses full truth. He's the one who radiates the light of the, go- of the gospel. What's unique in this section, and I don't have time to get into it, but what's unique in this section is that he comes to his own, and those that should have recognized him don't. I kind of stand out in Iowa. <clears throat> I do. I didn't grow up here. I, it was a shocker, right? I grew up in Vancouver. If I go to Vancouver, I don't stand out. Because there's a lot of people, as maybe some of you think, look just like me, okay? There's a lot of us. But when I come onto Faith's campus, because my son is going there right now, oftentimes people will, before I even know them, or even if I've met them, they may know Josiah and go, oh, are you Josiah's dad? Because you know what? Faith's campus doesn't get a whole lot of Asians. (laughs) You know, like there's no Asian invasion going on at Faith. (laughs) You know? So I come on campus, and if my brother's there, he's 10 years younger than me, sometimes they think he's like the dad. And then they think I'm grandpa. I don't know, but whatever. (laughs) They see the familial tie. They go, oh, are you like Josiah's dad? Oh, good guess. Gold star, right? Okay. But this is, this is the language. Like, they, he, Jesus comes to his own, the ones that he created. And when Jesus comes, you know what should have happened? Everything that creation was doing should have been happening within the people. But instead of that, they reject him. So let me again put a little applicational caveat here. When your ch- kids that you're working with continue to re- reject Jesus, don't be surprised. It's okay. Keep shining the light of the gospel. Keep declaring them to them the truth of the fact that he's the true light and he offers eternal life to all who will believe. Because it is absolutely normal, humanly speaking, for them to reject the one that has made them. But the reality of the text is there is some. Though the majority of the gospel is actually quite depressing when Jesus presents himself in this way, majority of the people will reject him. There'll be inklings, like the woman at the well in John 4, who not only believes eventually, she actually starts by rejecting him, but she'll have her eyes open and she sees Jesus for who, who he is. She runs into the city and she says, come meet a man who told everything about me. Is this not the Messiah? And upon her witness, many believe and then come out. And then they hear his words and they say, we believe, we believe you at first because of the words you spoke, but now we believe because of the words that he has spoken. There's so much encouragement. And do you know that in the gospel, this is my personal opinion, so you don't have to hold to this, But my personal opinion is that the first person that actually is regenerated in the Gospel of John is the Samaritan woman. And if that's true, think about that. The Jews who had the law and the revelation from God continue to reject Jesus. They rebuff him. Remember the cleansing of the temple in John 2? But the Samaritan woman at first rebuffs just like them. We worship here, right? (laughs) You don't even have a bucket. Remember this? And then, and then all of a sudden, she comes to a place where her eyes are open. And she doesn't actually go, yeah, let me pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, like, we don't see that. All we see is that she runs in the city. And the very next thing we see is that she's actually speaking of this Christ and bearing witness. That's awesome. Like, in all reality, that's what you and I are going to do as you interact with your kids. You and I are not converters of men. We have no ability to do it. But we have the ability to not only live out the sufficiency of Jesus Christ before them, but also to declare him as the true light and the true life that has come. And when we do, 
he takes blind eyes and the scales fall and he sets men and women, boys and girls, free. It's awesome. Like, that's what we're doing. You are going to spend a week exhausted doing all sorts of crazy things. At family camp, because I preached last year, they were trying to get me to do the sliding thing down the big thing. And I'm like, I'm 40. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hurt myself. So you see these contenders, they run and they're like jumping. I'm like, Dad, break stuff. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm doing senior high camp. I'm already trying to tell myself, for the gospel, you're going to have to do it. And I will. I will. Okay? I'm preparing. And that's why I'm bulking up, you know. So I'll see. No. But this is the language that he's using. He's saying, look, he came to his own. His own do not reject. They reject him. But there are some who believe. Verse 12, but to all who did receive, did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right. He gives the right to become children of God. There's so much there. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one who is to be praised. Stick Ephesians 1 right there. Right? Read that section, and at the end of verse 13, read Ephesians 1 after. It's a glorious thing to do. It's beautiful. Okay? Verse 14. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I'm going to end here in this section. But when John uses this language, that this word, whoever he is, and obviously we know he's Jesus, this eternal one who was always with the Father, and created along with the Father, he is now incarnating, Philippians 2, and he's dwelling among us. The language of dwelling there literally has the idea of tabernacling. And as you see this word who's become flesh, John says, the author, we've seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son. From the Father, the Father's the one who sent him. And what is the description of the Son? He is full of grace. And the language there, you could actually stick it. It works. It doesn't, it's not as um, smooth in our English, so we omit it. But the language is that he is full of grace and he is full of truth. He's not just like possessing some grace or more grace than others. And he's not just possessing more truth than others. The language is this language of absolute possession of all of it. So why else would you run to anything or anyone else? Do you feel inadequate to do this task? I hope so. If you're not here, I don't care how many years you've counseled, I hope you feel inadequate for the task. I hope you feel as though you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm going to like mess up kids for the rest of their life. Okay? <laughs> I hope you're scared. But I hope by God's word and by his truth, through the faith that you have placed in the Son, you allow the word to continue to drive you back to Jesus. And as you go to him, the one who is full of grace and full of truth will be the one who will use inadequate people. Not to point people to people, but to point people to Jesus. There's no cross back there, but it should be one. <laughs> May God help you. I have an applicational side. You could bring that slide up. It's Sean, right back there, Sean? Am I right on that? Shane, I'll leave it there for you. I don't have time to get into it. But you'll never give away what you first do not possess. You can't. So if you're here this evening and you don't know Christ as Savior, what a glorious truth that God brought you here. Yes, to get ready to train to work with kids this summer. But in a group this size, statistically, it's pretty high, even though you might be the cream of the crop in your church, that you don't know Christ.
And if you're here, let me declare him once again to you as the word declares him. He is the possessor of eternal life. He is the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. And he does not offer to you the gift of salvation as if it's a commodity separated from him. Stop this in our circles. We chase after commodity, not after the person. It's so pathetic. And then we wonder why our justificational presentations are so manipulative. Or at times, we wonder why our Christian life and sanctification is so inept. Because we're used to chasing after a bunch of commodities. When God, through the word in John, says, I'm not giving you a commodity. I'm giving you my son. And if you will know him, he who is full of all grace, all truth, all joy, all love, all patience. If you're attached to him by faith, all of it will be yours. That's John 14 and 15. The vine illustration. And so may God help us first to be those who know this one who has already made himself known. And as we do, we will be those who will declare this eternal Christ who provides and calls us to find life and light in him alone. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the time. Thanks for the opportunity to spend a few moments unpacking this rich text, to be reminded of the sufficiency of our Savior. There's no life and there's no light. There's no truth and there's no grace apart from Jesus. As we move to the next section, where beautifully John illustrates this truth of Jesus who is the fullness of grace, dispensing grace to us in him, in himself. May we not run after commodities, but may we chase after Jesus. And we'll give you the glory and the praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.